Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you. I worship you 
stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. We make miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who John chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. As you're, as you're, maybe if you're still turning there, I wanted to share a story maybe that you heard at the beginning of this year. Um, I want you to put yourself in this story. I want you to imagine that you're driving in Virginia on the, on the interstate, I-95, and it's January, and a storm hits. Before you know it, there's accidents all around you, semis, jackknife, cars coming to a complete stop. What was supposed to be just a couple inches turns to a, a foot of snow, and they're not prepared, and, and like I said, everything just stops, except for the snow. I don't know if you remember this from the news, but hundreds of motorists were driving on this highway, and they actually found themselves in this winter in snowstorm with the highway shut down, stranding them across this 15-mile stretch just outside the nation's capital. They were there for over 24 hours. And I want you to imagine what it must have been like sitting there in your vehicle for that first hour, right? I'm sure all of us have been in traffic for at least an hour, maybe where it's just stopped. If you've ever been through Chicago or New York or, or in L.A., you know what that's like, where nothing's moving but imagine that hour turns into two hours. And you're thinking, man, don't worry, they're coming. They're going to clear this off. They're going to clear these vehicles. They're going to clear off this snow, and they're going to get to us. But then another hour passes by, another hour, another hour. And, and now you're wondering, should I shut the car off, right? Maybe you already have because you don't have a lot of gas. But it's freezing temperatures. So you're, you're turning it on, heating it up, then turning it off. You've got to go to the bathroom. You're getting hungry, right? Before you know it, it's eight hours. And you've had probably to do something. Maybe you see other people abandoning their cars and, and walking off, but you're, you're not what, sure what you, you should do, so you just stay there, right? Well, 16 hours comes. And now you're wondering... You're trying to find out information. They, they were going to send the National Guard, but it would have taken a day to get there, so they didn't. So the government is trying to help out this situation, but you're 16 hours into it, and you're hungry, right? You're hangry. That's what I would be in this situation, hangry, angry and hungry, right? You hear kids next to you in cars crying, and maybe people are coming up to you and asking you for food, and you don't have anything. Well, that was the case with this couple, Casey and John. They had been stranded, and like I said, at a point 16 hours into it, they noticed something. A Schmidt baking company truck, just a few cars ahead of them. So they get the corporate 
number, they look it up, and they, they call their headquarters, and they leave a message, right? And they leave a message, hey, this is what's going on. Can you help us out here? Well, 20 minutes later, one of the owners calls them back. Casey and John explain the situation, and they're like, there's hungry people here, right? We hear kids crying. We haven't eaten in 16 hours. Would you open up your truck? Of course, the owner gets a hold of the truck driver and tells him to do just that. The owner tells him, hey, give everybody that wants bread or a, or a thing of rolls, whatever they need during this time. Well, the, the couple decides to take this a little bit further, and so they actually take the bread. They take the rolls, and they start going car to car, walking through the snow, asking people, hey, do you have anything to eat? Well, here's, here's some bread. Here's some rolls, and they do this. I love one lady. She said, one elderly said, lady said that this was the kindest act she'd ever witnessed, right, happening. Uh, they walked for hours until they couldn't feel their feet anymore, right? I love this compassion. I love this act from these people. And I think this story kind of sets up our account today of Jesus feeding the 5,000. But I asked you to think about something. What do you have not enough of today? Like I said, money, time, joy, purpose. What do you have not enough of today? I'd like you to Think about this as we're going through this. I love this story that we're going to read today because this account is one of the most famous stories in all of Scripture. It's told in all four gospel accounts. Besides the resurrection of Christ, it's the only miracle that's told in all four gospel accounts. Matthew tells it. Mark tells it. Luke tells it. And we're going to be reading John's account, regardless of how many times you've heard it. I, I pray that God would speak fresh to us in a, in a new way, in a meaningful, meaningful way that would challenge your life today. John, beginning at 6, beginning at verse 1, would you stand with me in honor of God's Word? After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, Even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full... Jesus told his disciples, Now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps 
left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. Amen. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We pray that it would speak loud and clear into our hearts. I pray that it would challenge us. I pray it would comfort us as only your word can. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. This is only a test. When I was a kid, I find myself saying that more and more nowadays. When I was a kid, you would hear those words after one of those terrible, shrill sounds came across the TV. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Maybe even on the radio. I think they even still do it on the radio if you listen to that. Anyone remember those? This has been a test of, your, of our emergency broadcasting system. If this were an actual emergency, it would have been followed by actual instructions or something like that, right? That's what it said. If you grew up in my generation, you became tuned into that. You came to recognize that sound. Maybe it's kind of similar to an Amber Alert type sound today. But when you heard that, right, you were ready for the information that would follow. You were, you were ready. You were prepared from that because of all those tests that you had before them. If you notice in what we read, Jesus used this as a test, right? That's what he said. This was just a test. And I want to take a good look at it because I know we're going to experience tests in our lifetime. As a follower of Christ, you will be tested but it's meant to be a good thing. We don't always appreciate it, right? But it's meant to be a good thing. It's meant to grow our faith. A pastor that I listen to regularly said that a faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. A faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. God wants us to act on faith. And so in this life, he will test us. I'm sure some of you know what that's like right now. I I hope that you see, I hope that I can recognize that when we're being tested so that we can come to a place where we say, this is only a test. This is only a test. I, I hope we come to the place where we realize God is testing us because he trusts us enough or he wants us to take us to a place deeper in our faith And I hope we can come to the place where we actually praise God for the tests. That's high level. Man, that's difficult. Not easy to do. Often that comes after the test. But I pray that's someplace that we can get to. Well, let's go through this account and see what we can come up with. Come up with. The first thing that stands out to me is that Jesus and his disciples are faced with an unsolvable problem, right? A humanly unsolvable problem. You ever been up against one of those? I know some of you are staring at those right now, right? There are going to be times where the problems we face are ones that we just don't know how to solve. We just don't see an answer. I'm not talking about when your kid comes to you here, here lately. I've been seeing this more and more, but 
when your kid comes to ask, up to you and asks you for help with your math and you've forgotten how to do the Pythagorean theorem or, or something like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when life is hitting you hard. Maybe life is, feels like it's crushing you. Maybe you've been dealing with something for, for years, right? And you can't see any earthly solution to this issue. We all have these things that come up. And that's what exactly the disciples are staring at. The account mentions 5,000 people, right? But you've been through this sermon probably a million times. And Matthew 14, 21 tells us 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to the women and children. That's the beauty of having four gospel accounts. They're not just reruns. They provide different perspective, different points of view, different details to what maybe one doesn't bring out. John, maybe you're reading John and you're thinking there's 5,000, but then you come to Matthew and you realize, oh, there's really fifteen to 20,000 with the women and children there, all coming to Jesus. Why were they coming to him? Well, he's been doing amazing miracles, right? He's healed a, a blind man at the pool of Bethsaida before this. Scholars estimate that this is in the third year of his ministry. So there's quite the buzz about this man named Jesus. People are talking about him, talking about his ministry, talking about all the miracles that supposedly this guy is doing. People are curious. Also, specifically in this area at this moment, there are a lot of people that are coming and going because it's almost Passover. Passover was one of the three pilgrim feasts for the Jewish people, a feast that they were called to travel to Jerusalem to attend. So there's a lot of people coming and going during this time. A lot of buzz about this Jesus guy. And then they spot him, right? They see him. Hey, there's that Jesus guy. There's the one that everyone's talking about over there. And before you know it, there's fifteen or 20,000 people before him. From the other gospel accounts, He's sitting down with his disciples and it says he lifts his eyes up and sees all these people. I, I hope if you're here today and you're wondering, does God see me? I hope this speaks to you. He does. I know you got questions. I know you're frustrated. I know you're like, what the heck is happening? But he sees you. He sees all these people. He knows they're hungry. He knows they're tired. Right? And so what does he do? He turns to Philip and he asks him, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Why ask Philip? Philip's the local person of the group. Philip was from Bethsaida. And that would have been the closest town. And so Philip knows where the grocery stores were. He'd be the one that would know. So he puts it on Philip. And if I'm Philip, right? At this point, my head would have just exploded. Seriously? You're even contemplating this? And I would have done the same thing that Philip does, right? I would just point out all the reasons that what Jesus is asking is not going to work. Why would you even go there, Jesus? Are you kidding me? Even if there was a place that we could buy this much bread, we'd have to work for months to have enough money to be able to pay for it. 
That's exactly what I do. Oftentimes in these situations. I don't know if it's your first response when you're facing the impossible. Panic. List all the reasons that we can't solve the problem, right? List all the reasons that it's beyond us, beyond our ability. All the while realizing that's the point. It's beyond us, but it's not beyond him. Notice as Philip has a seizure, the text tells us that Jesus asked Philip this to test him. That's why he asked him this. For he already knew what he was going to do. That's what the word says. He already knew, Jesus already knew what he was going to do. This is only a test. I I hope I'm not being disrespectful or anything here. But you ever think Jesus is just a little sneaky sometimes? Asking questions like this? I kind of picture him with a smirk on his face asking Philip, Hey, where where can we get enough food to to feed these people? All the while, Philip's head is just exploding. Right? Now, Philip, Philip's been around. Some of you have been around for a while, right? Philip should have known. He was one of the first disciples called by Jesus. He was there at the first miracle when Jesus changed vats of water, vats of cleaning basin water, into wine, right? He was there with the first unsolvable problem. They, they ran out of wine at a wedding feast. They couldn't just go buy this wine, right? They didn't have enough wine that they could buy to take care of the problem, but Jesus miraculously handled it. Philip missed an opportunity here to trust Jesus like he had seen them already provide for Don't we do the same thing, though? When that fresh thing comes into our lap, we know the stories, right? We know the stories in God's words of how God provides. Even personally, I've experienced Jesus solving the unsolvable problems in my lifetime. Why do we go back to square one with our faith, though, when the next unsolvable problem comes before us? What would happen if the next time we face that problem that we don't see an earthly solution to, we just trust him with it? When there's nothing we can do, can we just live in that moment? Not just trust him right then and there, but trust him until he fixes it, until he moves, or until he changes us, right? Right? Because sometimes we're asking him to do something, but he's really waiting for us to change and to do something different ourselves. Lord, what do you want to do in this situation? What do you want to do through this situation, God? What, What are you trying to teach me? That's what I want my prayer to be because I often don't pray that, to be honest with you. I just want God to fix it, right? I just want God to fix the problem, not change me. That time, I don't even know how he wants to change me, right? But will we trust him? What if, though, we remembered what the wine tasted like? Right? When he changed that water, it was the good stuff. You remember what he did, right? What if we remembered 
what that tasted like? What if we remembered when he healed that blind man and that blind man received sight for the very first time? We know God is good. We know God loves us. The enemy will tell you he's not He will tell you, why are you following him? Why are you waiting on him? You've been waiting so long. But you know he loves you. There's got to be something to it. What if we just surrendered everything to that? It's easy to put Jesus into a box, right? I only know of one box that Jesus was ever put into And he busted out of that one three days later. Amen? I'm here to remind you there is no box you can put him into. None. Where he has to stay. So we have this unsolvable problem that's met by a heart of compassion. That's what I see next. The other Gospels account include part of this story that we don't see that's missed here. Again, that's why you have to read all the Gospel accounts. All the different perspectives and put them together. If you read the other accounts, you see that Jesus sees these people, this crowd, and he has compassion on them. Compassion. So he heals their sick. That's how he responds. And after an evening, after a day of doing that, when he's all done, the disciples come to him, and they tell him, hey, Jesus, you need to send the people away. Send them away. It's getting late Tell them to go, Jesus. They're going to be hungry. They need some food, right? Tell them it's time. And Jesus responds, we don't have to do that, guys. You feed them. You feed them. An unsolvable problem is met by a heart of compassion. Here's the other context. I shared this some time ago when we were preaching through the seven signs of Christ. Jesus and his disciples have been out ministering right before this, doing some heavy lifting. They were sent out. They were teaching, trying to cast out demons even. They were ministering. They had some good experiences. They had some rough experiences. In fact, they faced rejection. And they had come back to tell Jesus what they had encountered and what had happened. As they're doing that, some friends of John the Baptist come to him, bearing some bad news. John Jesus' cousin, who were some of them, they were disciples of John. They learned that he's been executed. He's had his head cut off. So an intense time of ministry with a lot of walking, a lot of physical activity, and then some heavy news that breaks their heart. Right? I'm sure Jesus wept at the loss of his cousin. And Jesus says, let's go away. Let's get away. Let's take some time. And that's what they were up to when the crowd approached and noticed Jesus with his disciples. That's what they're dealing with. And yet, he has compassion when he lifts up his eyes and sees the crowd, right? And he starts serving them. This is one of the reasons why I follow Jesus. This is one of the reasons that he's wrecked my life because of seeing his example. 
Haven't we all wanted to press pause on the ministry? It's time. I need a break. Let's press pause on the ministry. We're spent. And yet, here comes this opportunity. Here comes this interruption. Right? More than an opportunity, an impossible situation. And it's the moment that most of us check out. Too much. I'm spent. I don't see a solution to this. I'm out. We helped. We did our part. Now send them away, Jesus. Send them away. There's nothing that we can do. You know, I would even see this as an intrusion. I'd probably get a little ticked off, right? We just need some time alone. We're grieving. We're dealing with this heavy stuff. I'm tired. We've been doing this all day, doing this all week, right? And here come these needy people again. Just send them away. God, forgive my attitude. I dare us to believe that some of the greatest things God will ever do will come at a point in our lives when we just want to press pause and not be interrupted. But we allow ourselves to be interrupted. We allow ourselves to be inconvenienced, even when we're spent. I want to read some of Mark's gospel account, Mark 6.30. You don't have to turn there. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told them all that, he had, all that they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. You ever been there? You're trying to eat, but somebody interrupts. Notice, this is Jesus' idea to go rest, right? And he knows an interruption is coming. How do you reconcile that? Let's go off and rest. I know this interruption's coming, though, right? because both are good, right? We should take breaks. We should take the Sabbath, right? We should take pauses. But when we do that, let's still recognize opportunities, right? Even when we're going through the things that are heavy on our heart, don't pause from being a part of making a difference in somebody's lives, They're all important. Sometimes breaks and vacations put us into other people's paths that we wouldn't normally have a chance to encounter, right? Just because you go on vacation, you're still a follower of Christ. You're still an ambassador of Christ. That's kind of exciting because who are you going to meet when you're at the beach? Who can you tell about Jesus Christ that normally you wouldn't be able to? So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of him. Daggone it, right? Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped out from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on him compassion in his gut right he felt it in his stomach his stomach was in knots because he was so concerned about them so worried about them so what's he do 
So he began teaching them many things. Side note, before he healed them, which he'll, he'll do that in a minute, before he fed them, he taught them. Don't miss this. Because churches are kind of changing, right? He gave them food for their soul. Uh, there's, this, there's this shift in, in the church where we felt like we've done a lot of talking, but we haven't helped people. And now we're feeling like we need to help people, but we're shifting away from talking to people. They have to go hand in hand, right? We have to tell them the good news. We have to tell them the truth. We have to teach them. We have to disciple nations. But we also have to serve people, too. They have to go hand in hand. Our ha- efforts have to include, include both. Okay, so we still have the unsolvable problem, right? Notice, notice Andrew. Jesus is approached by Andrew. Andrew has three cameos in the Bible, and every time he's mentioned, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. Isn't that awesome? What if, what if somebody said that about you? Every time they thought about you, they'd be like, oh yeah, that's the guy that always brings people to Jesus. Wouldn't that be awesome? Right? He brings this young man with some food to Jesus. He brings some random Greeks to Jesus. Some random Greek Gentiles that probably you would think shouldn't be brought to Jesus. Right? They weren't Jews. Yet he brings them to him. Uh, by the way, I love that, right? Shouldn't that be us bringing people that we think shouldn't be brought to Jesus? To Jesus? Shouldn't we be inviting the people that we would think would be the last people that would step foot in this building, right? Shouldn't we be inviting them? And then he also brought his, his brother Peter to Jesus. You got to meet this guy, right? He's got the words of life. That's how we should be to people. We, we can introduce people to people. We can introduce people to Jesus, the one who's flipped our lives upside down. Let me tell you about what Jesus has done in my life. He can do the same in yours. I used to be this way, but now I'm this way. So he brings the kid with the lunchbox to Jesus. Kid's got five loaves of bread, two fish, and they're looking at 15 to 20K, right? Notice the five loaves were barley. Don't miss that. Barley, the food of the poor. So this kid probably doesn't have much. Maybe it's for his family's trip. I'm sure his family could have thought, could have had these thoughts. You know what? We probably should hang on to this. It's the only food that we have for this journey. We don't have a lot. We just can't give our food away. We need it. But this boy must have come forward and offered it. I don't know if his parents sent him. I'm sure his parents made it. But here's five loaves and two fish. In the world's eyes, not enough to make a difference, right? Not enough to make a difference. Might as well hold on to it. But look at what God can do with your offering. I heard it said, a seed seldom looks like the harvest it it contains. A seed seldom looks like the harvest it contains. So often we're tempted not to sow the seed because it's so small or we think it's so insignificant. But what can God do with your offering? We tend to think, man, I don't have a lot of money, so there's not a lot I can do. I don't have a lot of time, so there's not a lot I can do. If I ever get that, though, right? If I ever get the money, 
get the time, get the talent, right? Begin, if I ever become good at talking to people, then you can use me for the kingdom, Lord, right? Will you quit using that as an excuse and just give God what's in your hand? Whatever that is. I'm, just, I'm not just talking money here. I'm talking about, like I said, talents, time, serving. I, I wish I could be famous. I wish I could have a big following so that I could influence and make a big impact. What if you just made a big impact on one person? What if you helped one person find Christ? Right? Wouldn't that be worth it? Jesus didn't intend them to go to the store. He did not intend them to go to the store. That thing that's on your heart that you believe that God wants you to do, but you're waiting for all the pieces to go into place, quit waiting. Step forward into it and allow him to make the way. Don't think that if I had this or if I knew this person or if I had this money, then I could do this thing. No, God says step out of the boat, right? Give what's in your hand and I'll multiply it. I'll bless it. You bring me you. You bring me you broken and battered, and I'll put the pieces together. I'll enable you and make a way. I'll give you favor, right, with other people, just as you are. Just be faithful with what he calls you, and let him bless it. That's what Jesus does with this food. He thanks the Father for it, right? And when he prays, he blesses it. What are your prayers like right now? Sometimes when you're holding not enough, your prayers aren't very grateful. Right? I'm holding not enough. You are not giving me enough. You are not helping me enough. And sometimes that leads us to a place of ingratitude. Be careful. Be careful. Be grateful for whatever he's given you, would you just change your mindset no matter what, no matter what season you're in, no matter where you're at, right? Would you just be grateful for what he has given you? I was talking to somebody and they're just so fixated on this one thing and it's gonna destroy their life and they're missing out that they got a great spouse, right? A good family, a roof over their heads. They're going to let this tear them apart. Be grateful for what you have, even if it's not enough, right? Because God takes the not enough and multiplies it. He stretches it. He makes it last. Thank God for it. I don't see how, God. I'm looking at this impossible situation here with my bills. But I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put this into your hands. I need you to bless it. I need you to stretch it, right? I need you to multiply this offering. Let's live with gratitude at whatever he's given us, even if it seems like just a little compared to somebody else. The five loaves and two fish, insignificant. They're holding not enough. And I'm guessing that you've been there with some kind of impossible situation. Philip admits, we don't have enough money. Andrew admits, we've got five loaves and two fish, but, but what good is that with so many people? 
And Jesus is holding not enough, but he thanks God for it, and he blesses it. The same Jesus that you know. The same Jesus that you can entrust not enough to. He can bless that too. He can multiply it. He can provide a way. Let's give what we have to him so that he can bless it instead of trying to hold on to it. Because that's what we want to do when we have not enough. We want to hold on to it, hang on to it, make it last as long as we can, but give it to him. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I don't know enough, Jesus. I'm going to hold back my life from moving into the promise that you called me to. Don't you dare. Allow him to enable you. What if we believed that he could turn the seed into the harvest? What if we really believed that? What if we realized that this is only a test and he'll provide? I pray something changes in our hearts. I pray that we get to the place that we can trust him. I pray that we, feel, we are filled with gratitude at whatever we have because so many of us are too miserable right now trying to hang on to the little bit. Let it go. Sometimes we're unwilling to move because we're waiting until we have more, waiting until we have enough. Don't wait. Let go. Thank him for not enough and watch it become more than enough because that's what he does. Last thing I want you to notice is that Jesus doesn't distribute the bread himself. He hands it off to his disciples, right? And they distribute it to others. Jesus could have snapped his finger and everybody could add Chick-fil-A in their lap, right? But he entrusts it to his disciples to distribute. I, ho- I hope we all realize this. We receive to give. We receive to give. Christ has called us to be his hands and feet. We are stewards of everything that he entrusts to us. Everything. You are a steward of your car. You could let somebody borrow that who needs it, right? You are a steward of your home. You could let somebody move in and live there. You are a steward of your finances. You can give to people in need. You can bring the tithes and the offerings into the storehouse. Or you can hang on to everything and be miserable. What are you going to do? You can hang on to not enough and wish it was more, or you can give it to him and allow him to bless it and multiply it. Amen? Do that. Do that. I have found in my life the more I hang on to stuff, the more miserable I am the more I want, the more I get mad at other people for what they have, the more I compare myself. But when you let go of that and you see it build the kingdom, when you see what God does with it, that's a huge blessing, more than anything. I've never let go of anything that he hasn't brought back twofold. Never. Never, ever. I have never let go of something that I regretted with what God did with it. Never. 
That's not just words. Never. (laughs) And I don't even want it back. But half the time it comes back. Twofold. Threefold. More than money fold. Relationship fold. Right? Let it go. Let it go. What are you holding on that's not enough? Let it go. Would you just please remember too, this is only a test. Be faithful in it. Trust him in it. Turn it over to him. Would you stand with me? Give him what you have. Allow yourself to be intruded upon. Have compassion for people, right? And watch what he can do with your five barley loaves and two fish. Watch how he can bless somebody else's life. God takes what we have and makes it abundant through the power of Jesus. God takes the little bit that we have, and if we surrender it to him, he makes it abundant through the power of Jesus. Let it go. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I I thank you for today. Lord, I pray that every one of us would look at our five loaves and two fish and entrust it to you. Lord, help us not to be about ourselves. Don't let us fall for the enemy's lies that says, man, focus in on you, focus in on what you want. No, help us to, to serve. Help us to be compassionate. Lord, I, I know we've all had those moments where our hearts have been compassionate, but we've seen the situation, we've seen the homeless person, and we're like, what do we do? Lord, I know we've all been compassionate and seen the impossible situation. Father, I pray that you would just move in those situations, that you would guide in those situations. Lord, I pray that we would just turn over our five loaves and two fish and allow you to bless those people in whatever way that you want to move. Father, we love you. And we give you praise. In your name we pray. Amen.